Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. We have a fun episode for you today. That's Jason right. from Engineering Explained is on the podcast. We're going to ask him, pepper him with questions. We got some listener questions that we're going to go over. He even proves Chris wrong. Well, that doesn't take much when you're an engineer. You, okay, here's what takes a lot. You admitted you were wrong. I did not admit I was wrong. Did I admit I was wrong? I said, mate, did I say, I think I said the word maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, it's a big day. Yeah. <laughs> it only took almost 200 episodes. So no, he's so, a he's a YouTuber with over two and a half million subscribers. Uh, you can find him at Engineering Explained all over YouTube. He has gr- a lot of great videos explaining how things work. And he does it in, in, in a good fashion. It's entertaining. I like watching it. Lots of diagrams. Absolutely. He's got a whiteboard that he likes to use and draw. And, <laughs> and I really like it. I, I enjoy his uh, channel a lot. So it's our pleasure to have him on the podcast. We've got a couple project updates and a news story that I want to go over that proves you wrong. Uh-oh. So that makes me really, really happy. But before we get into our updates, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's talk about our sponsor, Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications. They curate all this awesome stuff. It's different every month. They package it up and send it right there to your doorstep. There's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get six bucks off your first month's order. So I spent the week on my car. I did a lot of work this week. Okay. Um, I was a little bit down. Cause I was, it was it this week especially was kind of like man we've been in quarantine so long it's depressing I miss my friends exactly I really really do I miss hanging out with my friends I miss driving to you know we ha- we hang out every Friday night and we right. call it H O T hangout time so we call and it hot right you haven't had that and I haven't had that and I need that you know I need to see my friends right and I think a lot of people do so I kind of started to feel down a little bit I was kind of you know not wanting to work on the car and I said you know what I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm going to work on the car. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to bear down on it. And I got all the metal work done. Almost. Almost. I forgot this. Well, there's this little bracket that holds the bumper on. Sure. I have to weld that on. That's it. Okay. Oh, and, oh, sorry. And two little two little brackets that go up on the, the last bolt on the fenders. Up front, there's two little bolts. Oh, yeah, a little reinforcement corners. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's and it. your washer bottle hold down. Eh, I'm not going to put that on because right. I'm never going to put a washer no, thing on there. If, if I want to do that, well, maybe I'll weld it on, but I'm not going right. to, you know, just so it's there to, provisionally right. if I want to use it. But well, that's good. So, so now, all, now, but I also spent a lot of time removing all this self-etching primer right. that I put on the car, which was a nightmare. I am still it skeptical. So, Why did you need to do that? Why can't you put the other primer just over that? Because self-etching primer over time is... First of all, it's not a corrosion inhibitor. Technically, okay. technically, it's not a corrosion inhibitor from what I am told by people that know what they're doing. It's not a corrosion inhibitor. Epoxy primer is the best thing to use, period. Okay. So that's what I'm doing. It's what I'm supposed to do. It's the quote-unquote right way to do it. So I talked to my buddy Logan. He's actually the one that called in with the RX-7 when we did the, uh, you know, what would we do, the best 90s cars of all time? Yeah, that's right. He's got the the RX-7. The, what is that? FD, right? That is the FD chassis. So cool. Um, love those things. And he works for a works for Valspar, and I basically oh, I procured yeah. some uh, some epoxy primer from them. He mixed it up for me. I've got it little can which is i guess the activator and hardener or whatever it is yep. and i got the can of the stuff and he lent me his his paint gun 
Nice. Which is really, really nice. Now he's going to get a great bottle of scotch in the mail because he really helped me out with this and and told me exactly what I need to do. So I got rid of all that self-etching primer. It took four, it took hours. And you know when you touch your phone, you've got haptic touch. You know what haptic touch is, right? <laughs> yeah, it's where, where it vibrates It vibrates you. when you touch it. Yeah. Right? So you know that because there's no button. Right. You it's know feedback. That's, it's feedback. After I did that, my hands felt like everything I touched was giving me a haptic feedback. Because <laughs> you vibrated on it was the like, angle grinder so long. <laughs> I mean, it was every single time. It was absolutely crazy. It just it was, my fingers were just buzzing. And I told I, I call up Alex. I'm like, hey, my hands are buzzing. He's like, oh, great. Nerve damage. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so apparently you're supposed to use like special padded gloves when you oh. do an excessive amount of grinding. Or I this guess was that makes we, sense. I didn't know that. But I got most of it off. The best that I could. Okay, I got off, off the best that I could. I finished the welding on the underside. Yep. I finished welding a hole that I screwed up, and I had another do-over that I had where I didn't line up a panel correctly. I made a little patch for that. Yep. Can't even tell. Nice. I've gotten much better with my welding. I'm, That's good. I'm really, really proud of myself. And now you're done. <laughs> well, I feel like I, I got take... good at welding just in time to not weld well, anymore. Well, now when I see something that needs to be repaired on a car that I want to buy, maybe I'll think twice and go, well, I could, That's fi- true. I could fix that. That's, That's true. not so bad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, on the flip side, this was a lot of work to get to this point. An yeah. incredible amount of work. And a lot of it was myself having to do things twice. Yeah. And I had to do things over again. So anyway, so this week we're going to, I had to get, oh, I had to get a, a pressure regulator. Because I don't have a pressure regulator for the gun, for the oh, paint gun, right, right. and a water trap. I don't have one yes. of those. So as soon as those comes, it's on. I'm yeah. Now, do you know on. your per ratio of paint to hardener? He he pre-mixed it. He's like, in this can is the exact amount you need for this much. He did it for me. He's oh, like, he, nice. he's like, I even did it uh, super like chemical engineer way where I take into account how much gets stuck on the side of the can. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's super crazy detailed. When painting my bumpers, there was a little uh, learning curve on that. Yeah, so he took care of that for me. Awesome. Um, I've got a lot of questions of whether I'm going to paint the fenders myself. The answer is no. I'm not going to paint the fenders myself. I don't know who I'm going to have paint them yet, but I'm probably going to loosely bolt them up to the car, put the headlights in the bumper and all the other stuff in a box, mm-hmm. and just probably tow I'm telling the thing you, over. Chris, Rust-Oleum Blue is exactly on point with that color. That is Albert Blue in a can. I will. You'll have to tell me what that is because I have to. I'm not going to do that. No, you won't. No, but I need to paint the latch panel. Yeah, you so I was going to get some pre-mixed stuff in a can to 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 do the latch panel. Of the I car. Will, I'll bring the Rust-Oleum product I used, and you should spray just a little bit on just to see. Okay, I'll check it out. You All do right. anything? I didn't do anything that we need to talk about. All right, well, house projects. So before we get into our uh, news project or our news story, right? What have you got for us? Yeah. So okay, if you remember. Oberk Car Care, back from our sponsorship. They're back for 2020. If you're a past listener, you may have heard of us talk about their products on all the cars that we've worked on with great results. If you're new, Oberk manufactures polishing compounds and pads that will help any do-it-yourselfer enthusiast get tried and tested expert detailer results. Their simple one-two-step system takes out swirls, oxidation, holograms, all of that on your vehicle's paint. All you need is Oberk's products and a simple buffer of any kind, and you're ready to go. Exclusive to Overcrest fans, Oberk's actually giving away 20% off any online order. That's a huge amount. That is a huge amount. All you have to do is use the code Overcrest. And here's what's cool. Oberk has teamed up with carsupplieswarehouse.com and detailedimage.com to offer that same exact 20% off. 
So any of those retailers you use, just use Overcrest, you get 20% off. So now is a great time to grab Autumn out of shampoo. You know why it's a great time? Why? Because you can't do anything else, Chris. <laughs> it's spring. Yes, that everybody's going to get their car out. You got to get your coat of wax on there. Yep. You know, you got to kind of polish it up a little bit. You know, I'll do this with all of my cars once in spring. And this is the right time to get on this, get the 20% off. Yeah. So use code Overcrest at any three of those websites for 20% off today. All right. I've got a news story for you. Okay. And this relates directly back to you saying that you would rather drive a Porsche. Oh, I'm sorry, the Tesla Model S instead of the Taycan. You said I would never buy the Taycan. I would just buy the Model S. Not for twice and, the price. And then we got into this big argument where I said, hey, they're not even the same. They're not even built for the same person. The only reason anybody is comparing them is because it's it's like having only two types of beer. If there was only two types of beer that existed, whether one was a stout and one was an ale, you would inevitably compare the two just mm -hmm. because that's all there was to compare. And that's what you were doing. All right. So I still think. In this automotive landscape as it exists today, they are as close of competitors as are out there. Well, Tesla, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Porsche thinks you are wrong. I'm sure they do. Tesla, so this is Automotive, automotive News interviewed, uh, interviewed Porsche, and they asked, Tesla CEO Elon Musk has attempted to beat the Porsche Taycan electric sedan's Nürburgring lap time record with the Model S. Is Tesla a rival? Although people like to play us off against each other, we do not consider Tesla to be a direct rival. With the Model 3, it's clear that they are more aggressively targeting the volume segment. It's not our aspiration to be the leader in electric range. Also, while we don't currently plan to develop another combustion engine architecture that doesn't... What? Yeah, that's a big news. That's big news. They don't plan to develop another combustion engine architecture. Wow. That's a bombshell right there. That doesn't mean that we cannot maintain and improve models using the existing ones. That is valid for the Macan because we cannot expect electric mobility to advance in all regions at the same pace, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so Jake, yes. Porsche doesn't care about Tesla. And if you're a guy who's buying a Taycan, you don't either. I Period. still disagree. Back it up. Porsche thinks you're wrong. I think you're wrong. The guys over at Road and Track think you're wrong. That's not true. They're the ones that put these cars back to back. That's But they wrote an entire article that came out three days after I had made this argument with you that says you're comparing apples and oranges. They're not, not the same. They are not I designed. I vaguely remember that. They, they're, they're not the same. They're not designed for the same purpose. They're not designed for the same buyer. They're not the same at all. No, but silhouette, design, they are very similar. The cars. silhouette is based on engineering and aerodynamics, not, and uh, not branding. It's aerodynamics, not branding. Okay. Still has the same number of seats. Has this? <laughs> Come on, dude. It has the same number of they're, seats. They're high-end well, electric luxury sedans. Now we're going to start comparing every five-seating <laughs> vehicle that's ever made with the other five-seater vehicles that's ever made. No. Both have four doors and the hatchback, too. Just because there's... So now we're just going to start comparing uh, a, a four-door Volkswagen with an okay. M5? Let me, let me put it this way. If the Taycan is not competing against the Model S, what is it competing against? Itself, because nobody else is in this market. The market is thin. Nobody's building the cars yet. It's a new segment. It's a new market. And that's the only reason why these two cars are being compared with each other. Sure. All right. So he asked another interesting question. He says, does that mean there will be identical looking Macans and the only difference is that one won't have a tailpipe? He says, no, we will... We will considerably differentiate them in terms of design so that it's possible to immediately identify which is which. We believe that during the transition to EVs, 
customers want to be seen as driving electric. You <laughs> virtue signaling dorks. 100% accurate. 100% accurate. Yep. All right, so before we get Jason on the phone, let's talk about Worth. That's right. Our sponsor, Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with the industry-leading customer service. They also have their line of world-class hand tools that is new to the U.S. market, and those are the Zebra brand. These are German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. Head over to WorthUSA.com to check out all of their awesome products. Hello. Jason Fenske, man. It's our pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for calling in. Thank you, Chris and Jake, for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, when I started the podcast out, I had no idea that we'd be meeting so many cool people. And it's, uh, I, I watch your YouTube channel for forever. It seems like you've been doing this for a really long time. <laughs> I have been doing it uh, for, for quite, quite some time. Uh, June of 2011 is when I started. So almost nine years now. So we're... I want to go back a little farther than that. Where did the fascination with how things work begin? Because if you watch your YouTube channel, you obviously have an obsession with digging into figuring out what makes things turn. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and as far as where that started, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I, I don't think initially it was cars and, and that's kind of why the channel has the name engineering explained. Like my initial goal wasn't ever to just be focused on cars and that's where I am today. But, but previous to that, I was just kind of, as you mentioned, like interested in how stuff works. Um, so taking apart little toys or whatever it was that I had to mess around with and seeing, okay, how does this thing move? Um, the, the basic mechanics of things. Well, and, taking and apart stuff is easy, right? I remember taking apart yes. my grandfather's it's computer putting it back together. and it's just like strewing all of the parts all across <laughs> the room, just <laughs> everywhere, just computer pieces everywhere. And my grandpa goes, you better put that back together. And I just went, Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, if it's an electronic, it's like, I, I, I don't think I learned anything. Like I just found myself in a mess, right? It's like, like if you take apart a computer and you don't know what you're looking at, right? it's just a bunch of stuff. So I, I guess I never got into that like electrical side of it and, and was much more interested in the mechanical side of it and where you can actually see like, okay, if this gear rotates, it causes this thing to rotate. And then it's like way easier to understand. So I, that's, that's where I'm at. So where did the car thing start for you? Obviously, you know, you say that your channel isn't wasn't necessarily focused on cars in the beginning, but obviously you do like cars. Is there kind of where that a place where that kicked off? Uh, I would say the, the video game Project Gotham Racing 3, uh, which I think was one of the first uh, video games that was released when Xbox 360 came out. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I believe it was one of the first games that came out with the system. It was a release and, game. It was. Okay. And I wasn't really into racing games prior to that, but that one had like all the stats alongside all the cars. And I was like, these are kind of actually interesting because all the cars are real. And so then I kind of started like, well, cars themselves are pretty fascinating. And I think the way I best explain it now as far as why I think they're interesting is that it's the most complicated, most expensive thing most people will buy. So 
So, you know, houses are certainly more expensive than cars in most cases, but they're not very complicated in comparison. Uh, a car combines like every form of engineering into one thing that you buy. And, and then, you know, so there's so many components of engineering going into it. And I think that's pretty neat. A lot has to work in order for a car to work. If there was any engineering uh, program that you could get into in the world, if there's someone's building something that you know of and you could be part of that team and you had to leave your YouTube channel to do it, what would that project be? Oh, goodness. Uh, you know what I, I have been interested in lately, and it uh, is the, the Gordon Murray T50. It seems like a really neat car because it's it's trying to do some different stuff. Obviously, it's got the fan car thing going on, which is like wild that they're doing a road car fan car. Right. Um, but that allows you to play with some weird aerodynamic tricks, which I think is really cool. Uh, and the engine in it is pretty impressive because it's it's like a naturally aspirated 12,000 RPM V12, um, which we don't really have in many cars. So, like, there's a lot of unique aspects to it. Like, it, w- it would be pretty fascinating to be a part of that test team. I don't want to be part of a design team. I don't have the brain for it uh, or the, the passion for it. So, but But testing, I think, is really cool. So, what do you think is the most fascinating engineering achievement in motoring? since the inception of the automobile, since the first car was built <laughs> all these years, what is, and let's, let's stop at the electric engine and electric car and leave that out of it. Cause I, I don't want to run into that problem, but in, in terms of an internal combustion engine car, the car is the platform as we know it, as when you think of car and everybody thinks of it in their mind, what is the biggest achievement ever? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess the obvious, like a four stroke internal combustion engine, like everyone's doing that. Everyone. So like that's pretty wild, right? Like we there are there are many ways to force something to rotate, but almost everyone is choosing uh, cylindrical piston cylinder devices that all pretty much work on four strokes. Um, yeah, minus I think that's, that's minus, minus <laughs> yeah, yeah, minus <laughs> them. And like there's some two strokes out there, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, everyone's doing the same thing, just a variation of it. Well, I think it's really cool though about the you know the four stroke combustion engine is yes you have all it's all piston driven cylindrical pistons or in some case you know you have some different style pistons or whatever but there's so many different variations of how you could do it like V six V eight flat six you know very rare V four V six all these different inline six inline twelve whatever you want to do there's so many different ways to do it which gives you this huge variation in engineering. And I feel like we're, I think that's the number one thing we're losing in terms of character when we move to electric cars is the variation. Yeah. You know, I, so I think, I think I would disagree in that, you know, I, if initially when I looked at a car and I had no idea how it worked, um, I would say like, look, they're all the exact same. Right. And then you like start to dive into it and you can create literally infinite like video topics just on engines alone. And so like you start to learn all the intricacies of them and then you realize how incredibly complicated they are and how different they are. I feel like that passion for understanding how engines work has not yet translated over to how electric motors work. And there are incredible things that you can do with electric motors. And there's very different ways that you can design them that has dramatically different effects on how they work and, and, you know, the way they feel. And so I think it's, do you have an example of that of like maybe something I'm missing? Like, well, there's this design that's coming or, or anything like that, that kind of, you know, backs you up on that. 
I mean, I haven't dove into them much, but if you were to tell, if you were to tell an electrical engineer that all motors are the same, they would right. laugh at you. Like there's, right. there's AC, there's DC, there's brush, there's brushless. Right. Um, there's three phase, there's single phase. So you can, you can change so much about how a motor works, uh, and have dramatically different permanent magnet versus not permanent magnet. Like there are a lot of tools that you can choose early on the shape of the wire, um, how close, uh, you know, the wires are together, what gap you have between the stator and the rotor. Like there's all kinds of variables that we probably just don't like often sit and think about because most cars aren't that like 98% of cars are combustion. So we think about that a lot more, but I think the potential for electric cars to be fascinating is, is there. Well, I think we'll probably have to see some sort of differentiating factor come out as most manufacturers shift to this. Uh, they're going to seek it because they're going to want to set themselves apart from the competition. Yeah, yeah, right. agreed. So, so what's the most overrated feature ever on a car that's ever come out? The one that's the the dumbest thing, the dumbest engineering thing ever to exist? Uh, I, I feel like Chris posing recently. the question has something in mind. I don't. You I don't. don't. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. Mr. <laughs> opinionated Chris here doesn't know. Uh, probably this, the giant uh, touchscreen. That's distracting for people. I think that is an <laughs> awful, awful option. And I think it's causing guess, more accidents than people on their phones. Yeah, I, I think there was a study recently that said Apple CarPlay like is, is equally as distracted as like drunk driving or something. There was some study along those lines of like, you are super distracted when you're using Apple CarPlay. Um, which maybe, I think like Mazda, do they do it where you can only touch it while the car isn't moving? Which is super annoying when that's what it is. But it's infuriating. I, I think... I think one, and I was just reading about this actually when I was reading about this uh, Gordon Murray T50 uh, McLaren F1 successor, carbon fiber wheels, like carbon fiber wheels probably aren't like the greatest idea (laughs) because, because carbon fiber isn't like this ductile thing. So when it fails, it fails dramatically. And when, when a wheel fails, when an alloy wheel fails, it doesn't fail dramatically. You get a flat tire, you pull over and you're, you're sad, but like (laughs) you hopefully like don't have a catastrophic thing occur but like if a, if a carbon fiber wheel breaks and it shatters like then what what your handling control has greatly diminished in comparison to an alloy wheel that just got bent well let's be honest nobody's actually going to drive that car anywhere on the street i mean yeah generally right. i mean but, it's but never- they don't but they don't they're not putting carbon fiber wheels on it like intentionally because that's a bad idea and, and plenty of cars you know like gt350r um, Koenigsegg does it on theirs. And so it's like, if, if you're going to drive a Koenigsegg at 300 miles an hour, like, do you want the chance that like your wheels maybe, explode? <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody's going to drive 300, but yeah, you get yeah, it. Probably. Well, let's, I mean, they might, but hopefully <laughs> not. Uh, so what is, uh, uh, what is a part of a car as we know it that's existed, you know, in perpetuity that needs to be completely overhauled, but the engineers just have either for whatever reason, cost or laziness or consumers don't want it hasn't been overhauled yet. Mm, what needs a total overhaul? The like gap between the seat and the center console. Ooh, Have we not figured that out yet? <laughs> yeah. There's all kinds of as seen on TV stuff that you're supposed to shove in there. Yeah, that, you're right. Okay. It doesn't Just work. Cheese wedges. It, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> mine's mine's full of Cheerios and peanuts and everything else that my kids, kids throw around, <laughs> in, throw around in their car. Uh, so you also think that gasoline engines are not dead. 
why is that? Because I, you know, I kind of go back and forth on this, whether gasoline engines are dead or not. Because then I, I hear manufacturers say, oh, you know, Volkswagen's completely invested, right? They've $60 yeah. billion, dollars, whatever. But then you look at what Hyundai and Porsche and uh, Hyundai are doing where they're like, well, we're not quite there yet in terms of throwing the baby out with the bathwater like Volkswagen is. Where are you on that? Yeah, I mean, I think for cars, like for cars... In our lifetimes, we will probably see quite a dramatic shift. But to say the combustion engine itself is going away is is a bit silly just because there's there's two major things that have to be overcome. We have to overcome the price gap, which is pretty massive right now, and we have to overcome the energy density portion of it. So cars are kind of in the sweet spot where a big battery, even though it's big and heavy, you know, like I have a Tesla Model 3 and it weighs 4,100 pounds. Uh, and it has similar power to an Alfa Romeo Giulia, which weighs 3,800 pounds. So it's not a massive, I mean, it's 300 pounds more, but it's not a massive jump. So it's feasible. But if you scale that up to towing, to like towing with a semi-truck, then, you know, you're adding 15,000 pounds of battery alone. And right. so then the equation starts to become a little sketchy. So two things have to happen. It has to get a lot cheaper and batteries have to get a lot more energy dense. Do you think that the trucking industry is going to move towards hydrogen rather than just pure electric just because they have the space for it? Because you think about the hydrogen system and the batteries that they need, you know, to turn the water into whatever they do. <laughs> I'm the opposite Chris of you Chris is our engineer, as you can tell. <laughs> Engineering unexplained. That's me. Uh, there's, there's a lot more space on a semi-truck to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah. So hydrogen also – hydrogen could be the solution – like it has a greater energy density, but it doesn't have a great volumetric density. So it takes up a ton of space. So what's beautiful about gasoline and diesel fuel is how much energy they pack into a very low weight, very low volume space. Uh, hydrogen doesn't do that. And, and lithium ion batteries don't do that to an even further degree. So hydrogen could be the replacement, but it's also expensive. And, and it also takes up a ton of space. Um, so space and, and cost obviously matter to trucking. So maybe, uh, I don't know, but, but they both have their challenges. Like there's a reason why adoption isn't immediate right now. Right. Is there, is there a way to make the gasoline engine more efficient than it already is? Are we kind of with the high compression ratios, the direct injection, the forced induction, are we kind of at the end of the development of that? Yeah, I mean, we're close. Like I, I feel like as far as what's our peak potential <clears throat> something like the hyundai ionic which is like a, a series hybrid maybe i'm not sure if it's series or not maybe it's parallel either way the hyundai ionic is a good example of like what are we capable of where could everything be and that's a car that gets you know 60 miles per gallon uh which is great um and you know it's it's a hybrid system so it's saying like this is what if if you take a gasoline engine to its full potential not full full potential but pretty close this is this is where we're going to be at because you think about most things out there most things aren't getting 60 miles per gallon and maybe we could get them closer to that but not much past it um efficiencies peak efficiencies now in road car gasoline engines is like low 40 percent and you know maybe they're capable of around 50 percent which is a 20 percent jump like that's certainly significant right um 25% jump because people are listening and they'll correct me. <laughs> uh, 
So why do you think that, I, that, that there was this huge shift? Now you own a you own a Tesla now, so you're you're on the electric car wagon a little bit. But do you think that yeah. we shifted to that too fast? Do you think we should have went towards more hybrid technology and made it easier and cheaper for more people to become more efficient? I mean, we did, and no one bought the Chevy Volt, even though they should have, because it's an amazing car. Um, yeah, but that's because, I mean, when you look at Tesla, a lot of people that buy those are buying the idea of it. They're not all like you and I, as, as you as an engineer, love the engineering of it or whatever, the efficiency of it. But the regular person... I think they're buying an idea more than they're buying efficiency. Yeah. I mean, cars, cars, I wouldn't say there's a period in history in which like cars were like a purely logical decision. Like it was like, that's cool. I want it. Um, and I think a, a Chevy Volt is a, that's cool. I want it or not. A, it's a good example of something that's purely logical, but not that's cool. I want it. Um, whereas a Tesla is to many people, that's cool. I want it. So, the Chevy Volt opinion, was never that for anybody, apparently. That was an appliance <laughs> car. Yeah. So yeah. why did you buy your, your Model 3? Did it take you a while to accept that? Or, you know, how did you make that jump? Uh, so I did a video series with Formula E. And as part of that video series with Formula E, Nissan lent me a Nissan Leaf, the latest generation, um, but not the the longer range one. It was the first model year, the 2018. So the second gen first model year, uh, and it had 150 mile electric range. So I had that for six months, uh, that Nissan lent me and I have extreme range anxiety, like in gasoline vehicles. Like when my gas car is at a quarter of a tank, I'm like, I'm done. I got to find a gas station immediately. Right. Even though I have like a hundred miles to find one, it's like, I must find one now. Uh, and so I thought I would never be able to drive electric cars because of that. And your mentality just changes completely. I mean, mine did completely once I had that leaf because it's always full. It's always full. And you're not used to that. Like you don't get it until you just have it every morning you get in the car and it's like, Oh, it's full. Like I can go as much as I want all day. And I come back home and tomorrow morning it's full again. It's always full. And so you stop caring about range completely until you go on a road trip. Like that's the only time you have to think about it. And for most scenarios, like you're not road tripping for most scenarios. So you think so range anxiety second, is a myth is what you're saying? Well, I'm saying for me, it was completely alleviated once I actually tried out an electric car. So that was your big fear was the, was the range anxiety. And once you go out over that, then it was onwards to finding the best version of that car, that type of car you could find. Yeah, I mean, I wanted something a little cooler. So, <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I think we're all so, after that. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> I've I've been through probably fifty or seventy five like, cars trying to find the cool one. And I don't like if someone is listening and they're like, "Hey, you hate on the leaf?" Like, no, the leaf is legit cool. Like, if I didn't dump the clutch in my supercharged S two thousand and I t like a nice steady takeoff in my supercharged S two thousand, the leaf was quicker to fifty miles an hour. Like, leafs are legit cool. Uh, they're just not like that cool in comparison to a lot of the other electrics out there that are way quicker. The coolest thing about a Nissan Leaf is taking the motor out and putting it in something else. Now yeah. I think now that's cool. That's <laughs> that's the kind of revolution that I'm waiting to have happen, where that stuff I think becomes that's easy. Starting, I think that's going to be starting like right around now to to become significantly more popular. I'm waiting to find stuff in the junkyard. I don't know how that's going to happen yet. I don't know what they're, because obviously they're going to pull the batteries yeah. out, right? You're not going to be able to get batteries at the junkyard. That's not There's already companies though, that are kind of doing this where I, I don't know the names off the top of my head, but there are companies that are doing it where they're just buying these cars salvaged and then they're selling the parts as kits. So you can get, 
you know, this is, here's your battery, battery management system. Here's the battery, here's the motor, go do your thing. Um, so there are companies out there basically selling everything. The, the challenge, of course, is that it's really expensive. Even if you're buying these things right. salvaged, they're, Chris has they're looked, not super cheap. Me. Yeah, I've, I've looked I've looked into it for sure. It's 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 definitely, I mean, what's crazy is you look at Alibaba, God forbid you go over there and buy stuff, but you can compare yeah. parts and you know, sometimes find some of these components on there for yeah. quite a bit cheaper. I've tried to put it together. It's still, especially with the batteries, the batteries is just, it's, right. it's, it's, it's crazy. Think, yeah, much. so I think you, you, can, you can buy like a salvaged, you know, Model S, for maybe 20, 30 K. And then that battery itself is worth that alone. So it's like, okay, then you, you get your money's worth out, but, mm. but still paying 20 grand for a battery is like, that's a lot. I mean, you, you just got a battery, right? So right. it doesn't, it, it, I've did motor swaps in my car from the junkyard for $200. You know, you go to yeah. the junkyard, pull the motor out, pull the wiring harness out, weld up some engine mounts, put it on your car, $500. You're down the road with a smile on your face. We're just not there yet. I, I'm excited to be, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. And people have done it. It's just not very popular, like super popular right now. And I, it's it might take the fact that you have to do it if you want to still enjoy cars and still enjoy motoring and still enjoy, you know, working on your car in your garage. When that stuff becomes harder to do, like you need permits to do this, you need that, you need to have yeah. a special sticker on your car to drive here. It's got to be electric. I think you'll start to see more of it then. Um as a Tesla guy, I guess you're a Tesla guy now. What was your first impression of? <laughs> if, if you own a Tesla, does that make you a Tesla guy? It, Is that the only rule? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. It's the cult of Elon, right? You kind of join up. You get a yeah. little membership card in the mail. You get the little every, candle. Everything. Every day, I point my towel towards Silicon Valley. And, See, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was your impression of the Tesla truck when it came out? Its viability as something that could exist in the real world. Do you think it's we're, possible? We're talking the semi truck. No, the, the, the cyber truck. The cyber right? truck. Oh, the cyber Cyber not, truck. Yeah, because the first oh, thing I thought well, was, I, no way, that can't actually exist. Yes, exactly. I So the thing I thought first time seeing it was like, okay, this is like the stunt. And then at the end of the presentation, they'll be like, man, can't believe you guys clapped for that. Like, here's the actual truck. And then right, something right. nice comes out. And then I thought, well, maybe they'll just do it a week later. And then I thought, well, maybe they'll just do it a month later. And so I'm still <laughs> waiting. Because <laughs> you look at the thing, it's like if that thing hit a pedestrian, they would literally explode. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of problems. Um, I think I think what's unfortunate about that is like a lot of people that like Tesla like what Tesla's mission statement is. And I feel like that's completely fair for people to think. Like if if for you sure. think we need to switch to a sustainable future, driving an electric car uh, may not be great overall, but it is certainly better than combustion. So if if what we need to do is have sustainable transportation, is use electric cars, great. That's a, that's a great theory and platform to say, this is why we do what we do. But then when you only make toys, instead of actually going towards what your mission statement was of, hey, we are looking purely to, uh, you know, like uh, increase the rate at which we move to sustainable technology. And we're doing so with like super expensive, uh, futuristic trucks that are going to appeal to like YouTubers and then not like true, like people that need a truck for work that needs to be bare bones. I just need it to move. I want it to be efficient. I can save money on fuel. If I, if I'm using electric, like it doesn't look like it advances 
electric cars. It's just a cool toy, right? Right. So it's, that's it, where for me, like it always seems like the guy that's apart. got the little, the little, yeah, it's where it, definitely where it falls apart. It's like the guy with the little truck that, or the little wagon that you would take from town to town and he would sell things that didn't actually work. And then the he would snake leave. oil salesman, the snake oil salesman, because <laughs> you've got, I, well, obviously his stuff does work, but you keep seeing these things like the, the solar tiles on the roof didn't really take off. I don't know. Where's that? I mean, that's still something they're trying to do. The, uh, the semi truck, where is it? The roadster, where is it? This truck, when is it happening? You know, we finally got the model Y. It just seems like we're always kind of, we have this new thing just so we can have an interest-free loan from all the people that put deposits down on cars. It's just, it just seems like yeah. we're never really getting anywhere. Yeah. Publicity I, I think the, the, I think the big challenge is it goes back to what I was saying earlier is that they're expensive and it's really hard to make a cheap electric car right now. Right. And so that's, that was their goal. They've said that from the beginning, like we want to make a $35,000 car and they've kind of, kind of done it, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult to sell a car at that price that does what they want it to do. They could make, you know, a $30,000 car that only goes hundred miles and, and they haven't. Um, right. I think a lot of that is, is perception too, because people assume that you need 200 or 300 miles. And so all the kind of car companies are saying, okay, I guess we're going to bump up to 200. And if you were to actually own one, like if you have two cars and one right. of them is just for your work commute and back and the other is for your family, like you, you don't need more than a hundred miles in so many scenarios. That's why the e-golf is actually a really good deal right now. They're cheap. <laughs> e-golf is amazing. Yeah. Those used are great. And you can still get so many of these cars because they depreciate so quickly with long warranties on them for really cheap. Yeah, yeah, I think the Fiat 500 did a, an electric version, and those are like dirt cheap right now. Yeah, yep. cool. they're actually going up, though. You used to be able to get them like a year or two old, maybe two years old, and they'd be like five grand. And now they're kind of like working their way back towards 10. So people are starting to realize, I think, that if it's like a commuter car and you can get it that cheap and it still has a warranty, like you can pay for it in fuel very quickly. Right. So Jason, I have a question for you and I need you to help me out with this. Oh no, he's looking right at me. This is an attack on me. I it is an attack. <laughs> so first of all, I'm going to pose the question to Chris. Chris, what do you think of the Miata? I think they're, <laughs> they're great. I think they're overrated. I think that people get out there and they talk like, uh, it's almost like the E30 BMW owners where it's God's chariot. I feel like it's like Zeus's chariot, this Miata, where it's just, no, the Miata can do no wrong. And I think that's what bothers me most about the Miata is the, is the it's the best car ever culture. And they're you like, have softened your approach a lot, by the way. You used to say the Miata was just terrible. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing. It's, I it's hadn't the hairdresser's one. car. It is, that, that's true. It is the hairdresser's oh, car. And you oh. must wear a straw hat when you drive one around. <laughs> um, I personally so don't really like them. I think they're so underpowered. Chris, you feel the same way about Miatas as you feel about Tesla. Yes. Yeah. I don't like the, yes, I, I would, I would say that's true. Yes, It's an image problem to you maybe. Right. Okay. But I feel like that is like the, the huge problem with cars, like car culture. Like we, we care about what the people who like the cars care about. And I like, like the Tesla fanatics, like that was, that was something that I kind of, open like realized existed once i bought one because it was like oh there's some problems with this car so i posted about it and then like out of nowhere all these people were like what like how can you say there's something wrong with this car and it's like what do you mean i mean there is 
Um, and it's and it's an extremely good car. And honestly, I think Model 3s are probably today's best daily driver if you're just going to have something. I think they're fantastic. But there are flaws. And it is wild that the cult like just attacks you for saying certain things. Um, and so I, I myself, like, eventually was like, you know what, like, yes, people are going to like, even owning this Tesla, like you said it, you're a Tesla guy. And it's like, eh, I just think it's a really good car. Um, people are going to make assumptions about you based on the things that you own. So now I have two of those like Supreme cult cars, the Miata <laughs> and the, and the Crosstrek, not the Tesla, lots of Crosstrek fanatics out there. And, and so, but it's like, whatever, if you enjoy it, who cares? So that's where I'm at. I think I'm also Miata with you there though. I don't, the people, fun. the people I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what the word for, for, for it is, but I don't give them any grief for owning the car and liking the car. It's just not for me is kind of where I've, and I, and Jake is right. I have softened a lot. A lot of it is because I drove one and it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I did, I did enjoy good. driving. They make you it. smile. Yeah. And I mean, you in the that end, top down and, and slide around. It's like, what? This is hilarious. <laughs> and you can't say that you enjoy watching a or driving a slow car fast and not enjoy, yeah. you know, people that like Miatas. I get it. It's just, they're just fun to pick on. They just are because <laughs> they are fun to pick on because they are they are always touted as the most amazing car ever made and just all this stuff. And so they're just you know they're just it's easy pickings, I guess I should say. Yeah, no, that's fair. I I don't I don't I don't look at what I own and say like. I feel like everyone else must feel this is the best. It's like, obviously I'm going to buy what I like the most uh, within a budget, but I'm not going to assume that you have to adhere to, to all of my thoughts. Right. All so right. Jason, what is your current lineup right now? Cause we know you have the model three, you have the Miata still, right? Yep. Okay. 20, 2018 model three performance, 2016 MX five club and a 2016 cross Trek premium five-speed manual Ooh. Ooh, what a good one <laughs> <laughs> the, the mx5 club that's what i drove that was the miata that i that's now well this is an nd chassis correct or no yes yes this is the the new you chassis didn't drive the, the newest oh, i didn't drive the newest one what did i what did i drive you were doing an nc chassis okay i didn't i did enjoy it it was a little bit of a nanny you in an na the first jet with the pop-ups where it's super light that i think is the distilled Miata driving experience. We'll see. I don't drink distilled water at home either. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I got a little bit of this versus that for you. I'm um, just wondering which of these you would prefer if you had to pick one and then tell me why. A supercharger or a turbocharger? Supercharger, always. Uh, it took me a little while to learn. First new car I bought was a Subaru STI, and then I learned about turbo lag and <laughs> turbo boost thresholds and how lame all of that is. And people will argue forever that uh, turbo lag is cool. I don't think there's anything cool about putting your foot down and saying, I want power now and then having to wait. I think that's lame. <laughs> so superchargers all day. Uh, yeah, there's my answer there. Yeah, it throws off your handling too when you're driving. You know, it messes the weight balance up with the car. I will say the only time it's cool was with the original Porsche 930 where they said you'd Put the hammer down, go out for coffee, come back, and then it'll throw you in a ditch. <laughs> well, the thing with the turbocharger is it's if it's came with the car and it's more of a vintage thing, you know, you the way they do turbos now, you don't even know it's turbo because it's all variable vein, you know, they tune it so you don't even know. But all of the 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 big boost leg stuff was was cool for what it was at the time, but technically supercharger. I'm with you. I'm with you there. All right. So horsepower versus torque. 
Okay. I mean, if I do, I, so for all of these, am I just choosing one? Is that what I have to do? You, you <laughs> must choose one. You must. No, you, if you, if you like both or you want to say something else, that's all, that's all good. Well, okay. If a car has a thousand horsepower, I know that it's going to be quick. Right. If a car has a thousand pound feet of torque, it doesn't mean anything until I know what RPM it's at. And it then means it tells it's a, me that it's it a super duty, power. right? It's a, yeah, it's a diesel. Right. Right. So it's like, to me, uh, a tall, flat torque curve is ideal. Uh, and that leads to high horsepower. Um, but torque alone is just like, it's like, so for example, if I just push on a wall, I've done nothing. Like I can work really hard and do absolutely <laughs> nothing. And same thing with torque. Like you can have infinite torque, but not move. So you've done nothing. With that being said, I think it was Carol <laughs> Shelby who once said, horsepower sells cars, torque wins races. Yeah, I know, and it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bore versus stroke. Which is, which, because, you know, I've had some, my, uh, I have a short stroke, uh, 3.2 yeah. engine in my Porsche. <laughs> I've also done a uh, stroked out um, Volkswagen. Volkswagen engines. You know, which one would you prefer in, in, a, in a performance car? In a performance car, I mean, there's something kind of special about like high revving engines. And so high revving engines have to have a short stroke. Um, high, short stroke engines tend to be the most powerful. Long stroke engines tend to be slightly more efficient. So I have a video explaining why all that is, and it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. Um, but ultimately, I, if... I think both my cars are probably longer stroke than bore, but I'm going to say bore is right. more exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. All right, last one. And this is. You skipped one, my favorite one. Which, what did I skip? Forced induction oh. versus naturally <laughs> aspirated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, what's my budget? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's, question. That's, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Um, let's say in a, uh, in a car you have to buy off the lot. You want the the big that you can afford. That it's you can, your own budget. Yeah, yeah, it's your own budget that you can afford. Do you want the 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 big V eight or do you want the the four cylinder turbocharged engine? It, uh, so buying off the lot, I would want naturally aspirated. I think naturally aspirated is going to offer the best, most predictive throttle response and feel uh, throughout the entire like zero percent accelerator pedal position to a hundred percent. Um, I think in feel you won't you won't beat naturally aspirated. Uh, for my own car, for and my sound. MX5, and sound. I'm hey, gonna, don't tell yeah. that to the Hellcat guys now. <laughs> for for my uh, Miata, I'm gonna supercharge it because a little more power is fun. Right. Well, you, you can always have more power. That's that's never a problem. All right. So we got into a little bit of. Um, I don't remember if I was I was messaging you on Twitter with Joel Fetter and a couple other guys. Yeah, we got were arguing. He did. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, I got a little. I got a little angry. There's somebody who was picking on me. <laughs> Someone was picking on me a little bit. Um, so lowered versus stock. What I mean, if you had to choose one, what would you choose? Um, so I, I guess I've done this. Like I lowered my. Integra, and it's not to say that I did it in the perfect way. Like I didn't, I did no research and I bought some lower end coilovers and I stuck them on there. Um, but the, the reason why I like stock suspensions, uh, part of it is that, you know, a bunch of engineers put a whole lot of thought into it and I didn't, and that's great. Uh, the second part of it is 
if you lower something, then you have to, like by definition, you have to increase the spring rate. And also by definition. Why is that? Why do you, ha- why do you have to increase the spring rate when you lower the car? Because, okay, so let's say, uh, let's say your spring compresses four inches when you hit a bump, right? Uh, stock. But now your stock ride height has only three inches of spring. You're still going to go hit that bump and you know it's going to compress four inches, but you only have three inches of travel left. So you have to change how much spring travel you have. The only way to change how much spring travel you have is to increase the spring rate. So you make the spring stiffer and then you hit that same bump and it only goes three inches instead of four. And you're well, like, naturally, Great. that's going to make it handle better on the clover leaf, right? The extra spring rate. No, no, the, <laughs> it, it won't, it won't, it really won't help at all. Like it, it maybe, maybe you lower your center of gravity a little bit. And like, that's the, the benefit is like a slightly lower center of gravity. And the other benefit is a feel benefit in that a stiffer suspension. Like if you ride a go-kart, it's like, wow, the steering's amazing. Like it does exactly what I ask it. Everything responds immediately because there is no suspension. But suspensions exist for grip. So it's, it's a trade-off. Like you, you choose feel and a lower CG for less mechanical grip. So why that's, would an M3 or something like lower. that be lower with a stiffer spring rate for a street car than just a, like a 330i or something like that? What I mean, are we just, is that the compromise we're willing to make? Is it marketing? Why are they doing that? Like, I would assume it's because there is a, there's a feel aspect to it. Like that's why a lot of people don't like the new Miata because it's really soft. Um, and so they say it bounces around too much, but you ask Mazda, why does it have a soft suspension? Well, because it has mechanical grip and that's fun. Um, so it's, it's a feel thing. Like people don't think of sporty cars leaning over. They think of them remaining flat. Uh, and, but, but like, from from purely a mechanical grip standpoint, a softer suspension will be better. You're just better off buying nicer tires is what you're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, nicer tires is like always the, the best solution. All right, let's get to some questions from our... I completely disagree with you, by the way. I mean, from a uh, from a from an emotional standpoint, I completely disagree with you because I okay, but we didn't we didn't have different emotional opinions right there. <laughs> I know, I but like you, all you, I did was say some stuff about how suspensions work, and then you said you disagreed emotionally. He well, he generally disagrees with a lot of facts. So <laughs> for the record, I'm not surprised. I, I'm I'm completely with you. I just lowered my my 190e. I took the stock suspension. Suspension off, and I put Vaultland lowering springs with Bilstein something or another. I'm like, well, yeah. these, these struts fit on the car. Well, these springs fit on the car, <laughs> and essentially, it it will look good. I've still got to adjust the suspension a little bit, which is another thing you're always messing around. Yeah, with I it, think right? they look way better lowered, but I may be ruined the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. No one does this math. Like think about like, I don't know how many engineers are doing it, but there's several engineers that are saying we are going to fine tune the spring rate and the damping rate for this exact car with these exact tires and all this stuff. And then we just go buy like a thousand dollars set of coilovers <laughs> and throw it on and say, no, I'll, I'll do, I'll do it better. It's yeah, like, no, and more so, they not. tune it for each market. That's why European market cars yeah, exactly. are different. 
because we have different yeah. roads. So there, yeah. Chris. I but the thing is, it's like dating a girl <laughs> that is really gorgeous, and but she just has a has a, has a has a bad attitude. You kind of put up with it, and you know, just so because the car looks so good. You're saying so good. your lowered car is has a bad <laughs> attitude? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right, Alex Nelson asks. When do you think free valve will happen? And by happening, I mean, will it expand just beyond hypercars? It is. Oh, expand just beyond hypercars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the caveat there at the end. Uh, I don't know. There was a company, I think it's called Koros in China, that said they were going to do it in like 2016 or 2017. I don't think they ended up doing it. So I don't know. I mean, I spoke with an engineer about this uh, and he was saying, you know, there's there's three downsides to it. It's expensive. Uh, it's energy intense. This is a electric hydraulic pneumatic system. Right. So you have to have an air compressor. You have to have hydraulic pressure. And you, of course, have to have these electronic sol- solenoids actuated. And so it's like there's there's so much happening that a lot of manufacturers are going to say too complicated for too little gain for too much money. Right. So I I don't know if we will see it. And can you imagine your local garage mechanic trying oh to like diagnose or fix that system? <laughs> yeah, no. it's very complicated. Like we we have what we have sometimes because like sure we didn't innovate enough, but also sometimes because like that's what we can do right now. Yeah. Uh, so it's also yeah. what the market will bear and what the consumers are willing to, willing to pay for. Yeah. All right. Nate says, "What do you think will be the last great achievement on the internal combustion engine?" <laughs> HCCI, of course. What is that? Uh, so it is compression ignition of uh, gasoline. So homogeneous charge compression ignition. It, it simply means a gasoline car that acts like a diesel. You don't use spark plugs. You use uh, compression to ignite it. And it's the most efficient way that we can have uh, gasoline engines work. But no one's really done it well. What's Mazda the compression is, ratio there? Um, up there right i mean it it depends so you it's it's a very tricky thing the reason why it's tricky is because you have a tiny little narrow window of temperatures at which it works really well and then outside of that window it either doesn't work or you get a lot of knock um and so it's 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 kind of a dangerous game and and mazda's gotten very close with their skyactiv x engine but it's still using a spark plug so they're they're not there. Nissan's done a lot of research on it. I don't think they've got anything coming out soon with it. Do you think that um, we're ever going to see it, or are people just going to go, ah, fuck it, let's just do the <laughs> let's just do one. the electric engine? It's way easier. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the electric is probably the easier route once cost comes down. Like, I mean, I like Mazda's a small company, and they're trying to do SPCCI. So, like, if if Mazda, tiny little Mazda, can do can get halfway there. Like, come on, let's do it guys. <laughs> well, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know you, you have a hard out at, at, at an hour at, after an hour. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. It sounds like you're a big fan of Tesla Miata and, uh, tall suspensions all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I truly am. You know, he's a convert. You, 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 know, you know me. You've you've convinced me. And for the first time in the history of this podcast, I will let you tell me I'm wrong because I, I, it's tough for me to argue with you. Where can people find out more about Engineering Explained? Uh, Google, just Google Engineering Explained and hit whatever pops up. All right, man. Take care. I, I appreciate you calling, and we'll see you around the road.
Right on. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. He knows more than me. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, he kind of caught me by surprise a little bit with the Miata thing because I, I don't. It's fun just to pick on them, you know. It's I it's know kind it of is. like the. But you the reason punch I the- brought that up is I spent all afternoon watching engineering explained videos and just going through some because I had of course seen his videos before. Sure, but I wanted to go back through them. And one of them was basically talking about how the Miata was the best car ever and basically did everything perfect. And I was like, yeah. 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 It's, it's a, it's a cool, I would say the Miata is a cool car, but it is not for me. Mm. It is not a car for me. And I do get a little bit overwhelmed with the Napoleon complex that the, the Miata culture tends to have. Oh, it's the best car ever made. Oh, they're so cheap. Oh, my God. It's the best handling thing ever. It's like the dude. This this actually happened. What's that? Okay. I was at a gas station in Mound, <laughs> and I was on Highway 12 and Shoreline Boulevard, uh-huh. kind of out in, or Shoreline Boulevard out there in, in Navarre, actually, for anybody that's local. And I get out of my Nylon and I'm putting gas in it. And this dude rolls up in a 944 and, and, and guards red. He gets out. I'm like, oh, your car's really nice. It's cool. He goes, yeah, 50-50 weight balance, unlike yours. And I just was like, dude, what is your problem? Did you? He actually told me that his car has 50-50 weight balance. Uh, as if I did not know that I was driving a rear engine car. You should have just played dumb. That would have been the best comeback for that. Well, what are you talking about? I was, I just, all I, I'm nice. I'm a nice guy. I went, yeah, those things handle great. They got the transmission in the back, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's why. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> really, really nice car. I was nice to him. But in my hand, I'm like, screw you, dude. What are you doing? I don't care. And that's exactly the, uh, that's exactly the deal. It's exactly. So you're it. saying the Miata driver is the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's the from what I can tell. There's a lot of in the, the 944. It's the Napoleon complex, right? Every 944 guy probably would like to own a 911. Yep. In my opinion. Yep. Um. I I as a 911 guy also want to own a 944. Agree. You know, I'd like to own one. I would love to make a track car out of one. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yep. Other than the fact that they're a little bit slow, I like the seating position, the cluster, everything else. Yep. Anyway, make sure you subscribe to the po- podcast. Um. Hit a five star review if you can. That would really, really, really really help us and don't be a freeloader anymore we've got a donate <laughs> button if you don't want to sign up for patreon which is patreon.com slash overcrest sign up support and the show. we are releasing a new episode it's already out it's live it's called peter brock the mm-hmm. orgasmatron and in the down under it's it's a, very it's a really story. really really good episode it's super funny um or if you don't want to sign up for the patreon you can just hit the donate button we would appreciate and, uh, it. you don't have to be a, like i said you don't have to be a freeloader anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah and with that guilt trip yeah thanks for trip. listening yeah see you later guys